we have more work to do, internet connection, rural issues, uh, and still trying to address the anxiety of parents like me and my wife and millions of others about whether or not kids are going to go back to school this calendar year or not. I have been clear in my belief they will not. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. That was Governor Newsom speaking a day before State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurmond, sent a letter to all county superintendents telling them that they should plan on teaching students virtually for the rest of the school year. By the end of the week, a growing number of school districts had begun telling teachers and parents the same thing. But in order to do that, you know, students are going to have to have a tablet or a computer and an internet connection. And despite efforts by a lot of districts to get those in the hands of families, the state's aware that they need to do more. And this week there was a big initiative that the governor announced with Google to get 5,000 computers and, believe it or not, 100,000 internet connections into the hands of families in rural areas, but also low-income communities as well, maybe within the next several weeks, perhaps a month, at least that's the hope. It's going to be tough. And right in the center of making numerous key decisions is state schools chief Tony Thurmond, who was elected to his post by California voters just a little over a year ago. We caught up with Thurmond just before he was due to lead a webinar with over 5,000 participants on how special ed students will be educated over the next few months. We asked him how distance learning would work for the most vulnerable students in the state. These are uncharted territories for us. We've never experienced a pandemic uh, of this magnitude, and the impacts are so great that we know it is simply not safe for our students to be on campus at this time. And so distance learning is our best opportunity to provide an education for our students, and, and, but it's different. And so we need to be able to provide training to our teachers. We need to be able to provide more devices. We literally have surveyed every school district in the state to see how many of them have students who need a home device or working through an internet barrier. And so uh, we're working through all those challenges, but yet we know there are some students who haven't even been accounted for in some districts. Literally, some students have not checked in at all uh, since March 13th when many of our schools closed. And so we intend to work through some of our mental health providers and social workers and others, because we think those families are probably scrambling for basic needs. And so, uh, a lot of changes. We need to give our families some time to get used to how distance learning works. For most of our school districts, they've been doing this now for about two or three weeks. And so we're providing training to support them in how to do that. You know, as we speak, uh, we, we've got a, a webinar uh, providing training on special education through distance learning. And we'll be following up every week with more guidance, more training uh, for our educators and families on how that works. Superintendent, I know a lot of districts are getting devices. You are trying to get devices to those students who don't have it. I mean, you've just outlined one problem. We don't really know who those kids are in some cases. But when do you think those kids will be getting those devices? And do you have any way to know whether they will? Well, we count on districts to give us information about when the matching of devices with students who need them has happened. And so as we have surveyed essentially a thousand districts, we're counting on them to give us the information that they need. And, and we have invited districts to send that information to us directly. It is an enormous operation to get the devices, but we're grateful to companies like Google 
who have offered to help procure devices. And in some cases, Google is procuring devices from other vendors. Google is providing some devices. They're working with other companies to help us streamline what we can provide to our students throughout the state. We've got to move fast. Um, there's probably about six weeks of school left for most school districts in terms of their calendar. We've got to move very fast and we are rapidly working through matching school districts with donors who can provide devices and then making the operation as seamless as possible to get them to those school districts. We'll keep you posted. Superintendent, a number of parents are wondering, is the state going to set minimum expectations for what districts should do in terms of district learning, such as, you know, we expect that you would transition from enrichment to your course material, that you would expect this certain number of instructional minutes per day, or those kinds of things. Is the state issuing either guidance or even stronger expectations for that? Well, the state continues and the Department of Education continues to provide guidance on a weekly basis. And we have provided guidance on distance learning. Uh, We have not mandated instructional minutes. And I think if you follow the governor's executive order going back to March 13th, it has not mandated minutes, but it has created a framework that allows flexibility to school districts to create what makes sense for their districts, their students and their communities. And so it is different from the landscape that we are used to. But we are working closely with a number of uh, organizations that uh, have expertise around, say, online education to make sure that we can provide examples of what quality is, you know, quality learning as it relates to distance learning. As I mentioned, um, we are providing a webinar as we speak on special education through distance learning, and we intend to shortly be providing a follow-up webinar just on distance learning, where experienced teachers who have the experience in distance learning can provide coaching and professional development for those for whom this is new. And it is your expectation, though, that every district would provide some form of distance learning that you hope will be effective. We do expect that, and we think it's absolutely necessary given the health challenges that we are facing. Quite frankly, it just is not safe for our students to to return to campuses at this time. We don't have a clear indication of when they might be able to return. And from what we're hearing from public health officials and other experts, that it could be longer uh, than the school year. And for those reasons, we have really encouraged school districts to move directly to distance learning, to tell us where they need more support so that we can make the most of the school year. Our school campuses are closed, but school for the year is not done. And we really wanna make sure that we support them. What I want our students to know is that you know we are working closely with our higher education partners to make sure that there are opportunities for our students to graduate this year and to move on to post-secondary educational opportunities. And all of the institutions in California of higher education have created the most flexible ways to support our students. They're suspending the SAT as it relates to admission uh, decisions, allowing for pass-fail grades to be considered, to allowing for students to take their AP exams at home. This is a situation where the circumstances could not have been predicted, but we don't want our students to be disadvantaged as a result. And we believe that through the combination of distance learning and the flexibility being provided by our higher education partners, uh, that we will be able to help our students to be successful this year and going forward. That was State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurmond.
You know, Thurman's been an incredibly busy man. Parents and teachers and students have a lot of basic questions about how this distance learning is going to work. And one of those is, for example, will students get grades for the work they're going to do? And he announced this week in conjunction with uh, UC and CSU that, in fact, you could do pass-fail courses this semester. And another thing that they did was announce a technology initiative and also a, a labor and management agreement to work together. That agreement was really important to Governor Newsom and Tony Thurman negotiated over several weeks with CTA, the California Teachers Association, California School Boards Association, and other groups. And uh, the governor felt he really needed this. You know, one of the things that happened was that the SAT and ACT college admissions tests canceled their administration of these tests this spring. And one of the concerns has been is how this would affect high school juniors and their college applications, which they'd have to put together. And notably this week, the University of California made a decision to not require students who are applying for admission to the university this year to take these admissions tests. And to talk about it, we have on the line Larry Gordon, our senior higher education reporter. Is this as big a deal as it seems? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge deal just in the very size across the nation of UC and CSU. You know, the, the, the impact could be quite dramatic. You know, there's almost 200,000 applicants to, to UC alone. UC has said that they will not require the standardized testing, the SAT, or the ACT. The CSU has not yet quite said that, but it seems that they probably are leaning in that direction within a few days. So, you know, it is a big deal. But did they make this decision sort of for purely practical reasons that these tests are not being administered right now? I mean, the students, how would the students even take those tests? I mean, there is that, of course, you know, the the SAT and and the ACT both canceled some of their spring administrations of the uh, test. So there is all that as well as students being away from school, away from an academic setting that helps them get prepared for the tests. But behind all that is the bigger political debate within the University of California about whether these tests should be required in the long run. The UC Regents next month were supposed to be holding a discussion about the continued use of standardized testing admissions forever, not just for next year. And there's a quite a significant contingent on the board, led by its chairman, John Perez, the former assembly speaker, who seem to be intent on getting rid of standardized tests. And I think there is some thought that, you know, this temporary suspension could be a precursor to a permanent change or at least a trial run for it. Other people, you know, certainly don't want that. The faculty report that came out in January supports standardized testing. But Larry, what is your sense of where this might lead. I mean, do you think this could be an opening wedge for the university to actually do away with the SAT and the ACT? Because they're going to have to set up a whole system to implement this, to review applications without these tests, really, for the first time. You know, I don't think anybody at this point can predict, but I do suspect that it's going to be difficult to reinstate the SATs and the ACTs if it goes relatively smoothly. If somehow the numbers within both uh, geographic and ethnic diversity are not totally messed up by this change, you know, if the universities get the students that they want and fulfill their classes, 
you know, it, it may wind up just being a segue into the permanent change. CSU and UC agreed to allow pass-fail courses to this semester, not only for seniors, but for all students as in terms of admission and A to G. How did that happen? And what do you think the impact will be? Yeah, it happened because they just feel that they can't rely on this big switch to online education, that it's too chaotic, too uneven. Too many students may not be getting equal education, may not have access to the internet or computers. So they said, okay, we'll accept the grades up until the the COVID crisis hit. And then for the rest of the term, we'll just accept pass-fail in any of these 15 A through G courses, which are the 15 classes that are required to get into CSU or UC and in which students need to get usually at least a C. So districts will have a choice then as to whether or not they will be giving grades for these courses for admissions purposes or whether they can just do pass-fail, right? That's right. But but it's a big deal that UC and CSU said we'll accept pass-fail. So it's kind of easing the way for the high schools and the districts to say, okay, if this is what the higher education people require, you know, we'll go along with that, at least give the students an option. So it's really for students who may do worse than getting a C, right? That was the minimum. That's right. You know, it's, it's trying to protect those students who could have, you know, failed the classes or gotten a D, partly because of the complications and difficulties of trying to access their online classes. There could be quite a significant number of students who just are not able to, to do it or don't feel comfortable doing it. So I guess the big question is, is this going to work? I mean, the whole goal here is so that students are not disadvantaged by this whole crisis. On the other hand, students are going to have to do something, right? No, that's right. I mean, especially with the uh, stripping away of the SAT and the ACT, when regular classes resume, hopefully in September, there's going to be actually more weight on their high school GPA. So they are going to have to, at least in the fall, really kick in, you know, because so much more of the admissions decisions are going to be based purely on the GPA and some other factors as well. This is obviously an unprecedented situation, so we really don't know how all of this is going to play itself out. And Larry, I know you'll be staying on this and uh, look forward to your next report. Thank you, Lewis. Well, lots of moving parts and... Lots of questions. I mean, in some of these guidances that the Department of Education was putting out, particularly the one on grading and graduation, there were more questions than answers. And so lots of uncertainty amongst parents, amongst students, teachers, and many of you out there. And we try to keep you informed through EdSource, but uh, let us know if there are issues that you think we should be covering or that we're not doing a good job covering. We know that many of you are interested because since the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, we've had a record number of readers. And so we feel an obligation and we know that there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding what's going on with schools. And we're working hard to provide that a whole team of reporters and editors. And so we thank you for your interest and we will continue reporting what's important to you. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm Jonathan Sterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And once again, stay safe.